Well, good morning, church. How are we? You know, in first service, I came down on the floor and they all backed up. So I'm glad to see that you guys did not do that. No, you guys don't. This morning, we start a brand new series. But before we go there, I want to explain to you, I want to share with you what my thought process is in jumping into this new series. For months now, and I have shared this with you, for months now I have been wrestling with that quote from Francis Chan where he says that going to church should be more like going to the gym where you work out, more like going to the gym than going to the movies where you simply sit and watch. And bouncing the idea of that quote against the reality that if my job is to equip you, and Ephesians chapter 4 says that it is, in this adventure of, of, of being the church, in this adventure of forming followers of Jesus, the question that I ask is, how is that best accomplished? Wrestling with, when I look to scripture, how, how does Jesus teach the disciples? Does he sit them down into neat little rows and talk at them? It's not what he does. Jesus says to to his disciples, let's go do this. He involves his disciples. They learn by doing. They learn through apprenticeship. And apprenticeship is learning by doing. Apprenticeship, that's exactly what discipleship means. And so as I've been wrestling with these questions, I think a question that I have for us on the screen that helps bring clarity to the question that I'm asking is, if Jesus teaches the disciples through involvement, how do we incorporate more involvement in our Sunday morning teaching time? How do we make the the glorious good news of God's love for you through Jesus, how do we make that good news more real to you? And so this question on our screen is going to drive our summer. It's why suddenly I am down on the floor with you. I'm going to have people pray for us. I'm going to have people come and read scripture. I will invite you to, as part of this time, to share stories from what you have uncovered in the truth that we're going to see coming out of the Psalms. But I don't want to make you nervous. So if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I'm starting to think, "Uh uh-oh, what is he going to ask me to do? So let me be very, very clear in that I will not call you out. There's no reason to be nervous at all. I will not put you on the spot. If you simply want to come and to watch and to listen to the interaction, you are more than welcome to do that. Right? This will continue to be a safe place for you. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, right? You have my promise in that. But I also want to call out that there is a little bit of risk here for us in that we're trying something new, and this could go horribly bad, which it won't, or it could be really, really awesome, and I am confident that it's going to be really good. And hey, if it doesn't work, we'll just say, listen, that was the weird thing that we did in the summer of 2017, And we'll change things up in the fall. So this summer, we are going to spend the next three months in the Psalms. And I have to tell you that I love the Psalms. 
Right? The tattoo that I have on my arm is a reference in the Psalms. I love the Psalms because it is where I personally run when my world is spinning and I don't feel like I can keep up. I love the Psalms because life's biggest questions are here. I love the Psalms because the full range of human emotion is here from sheer desperation to full throttle praise. I love the Psalms because there is no sidestepping the hard things in life. I love the Psalms because the psalmist will always bring us back to the truth, bring us back to the reality of who God is no matter what life throws at them. In your bulletin this morning, you should see this postcard. And on the back of that postcard really is our roadmap for these next 13 weeks together. And I typically say, hey, listen, before you come in here on a, on a Sunday morning, have this read so that we are ready to rock and roll. But I want to up the ante for us. So my challenge to you is this. Read the scripture that we'll be in. So next week we're in Psalms chapter 78. But read that early in the week. And I encourage you to, any clarity, any confusion, any questions, any aha moments that you have, send those to me. So my email address is going to be up on the screen. It's also on the back of your bulletin because I would love to take your input and wrestle with that during our time together on a Sunday morning. Now two things there. If all 600 of us email me, there's no way I can do that, right? So I will try. That is my promise to you. And also, I will not call you out. So let's say Sean McMonagle emails me. I will not say Sean said, right? Your identity, if you email me, will remain in confidence. This morning, as we look to Psalms chapter 1, I've got a picture for us. Where's this picture from? Right, and what's the name of that roller coaster with that ginormous hill on the left? Sky Rush. How many of us are roller coaster people? How many of us are definitely not roller coaster people? (laughs) I'm somewhere in between. So there was a time when I would ride anything and everything, but as I get older, my kids who will ride anything and everything say, Dad, let's ride Sky Rush. And my yes to that comes just a little bit slower. (laughs) I find myself getting nervous. And so last year, I rode Sky Rush for the very first time, and as I watched people come off that ride, there were two very distinct reactions. The first reaction was this look of horror, as if that person had just had a near-death experience on that first big drop. (laughs) The person who clearly did not find any joy in that ride. But the second reaction is that person who is laughing, stoked at the experience, They say, that was amazing, let's do it again. That person who clearly has a sense of wow, clearly has a sense of joy. Now, if you're on the fence about riding Sky Rush, and you are watching people come off that coaster, which reaction is going to induce you to say, 
I've got to get in on that. Which reaction is going to make you say, hey, I've got to get myself on that coaster, that joyless look or that look of joy? It's that look of joy. If you are a follower of Jesus, your most basic job description is to live for God's glory. Living for God's glory is our chief purpose as a church and also as individuals. And as the experience of God's limitless love for you, his sloppy grace, the extravagant freedom that is yours through Jesus Christ, as that experience becomes more and more a reality in your life, there should be a corresponding level of joy in your life. And as people see your joy, even when when life circumstances are not happy, as people get to see that sense of peace within you, because you are tied to, you are anchored on God's faithfulness, God's steadfastness, in that people when they see that in you, God gets the glory. And so you and I have to know that God is best, God is most glorified through your joy. It's your joy, just like the joy of those people coming off that roller coaster, that will make people say, man, I want in on that. And it's in Psalms chapter one that we are given a secret to finding joy But in giving us that secret, we are also given a choice. Will you pursue joy or not? This morning, I'm going to invite Phil to come up and to pray for us. And then he's going to read our psalm. But as Phil comes, and as he reads, the question that I want you to think through is, for the person pursuing joy, what is it that they do? Phil? Well, what Brian did is he hand-selected the most messed up person that needs to pray and read their Bible more. So congratulations on not being the first person picked. Actually, let's bow our heads real quick. God, we come before you this time and uh, we thank you for your word, Lord. For the amazing grace that you give to us. God, I pray that we could clearly see your truth and what you want us to get from this morning. And God, I pray that whatever you lay on our heart, whatever you want us to surrender, that we would be willing to go there and get down in the trenches and get messy. We ask this all in Jesus' name. We're going to read Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Thank you, Phil. Let me encourage you to, through this psalm series, to 
Yes, we'll have the words of our scripture up on the screen, but let me encourage you to bring your Bibles in that we're going to do a lot of work over these next 13 weeks. And so to have your Bible with you as we jump around will be exceptionally helpful. Maybe the Bible that you're reading out of this morning says, blessed is the one or blessed is the man. And blessed really does translate as happy is the one. Yet I love the rendering that's here because we so often equate happiness with with the emotional state of being that is tied to our circumstances. In that life is going well, so I'm happy, or life is not going well, so I am not happy. But in this word joy, there is a sense of deepness here. Deeper than than the feeling of happiness. Joy is this sense of delight that is tied to something bigger than you, tied to something that is bigger than your circumstances. True joy is anchored to God and who he is. And so before we read, the question that I asked you was, for the person pursuing joy, what do they do? And if we come at that from a different angle, if I ask you for the person pursuing joy, what don't they do? And the answer to that is in verse 1. So help me out. What, do, what don't they do? That's right. They do not follow the advice of the wicked. Which tells us that for the person that is pursuing joy, they, they are super careful about the messages, about the soundtrack that they allow to bounce around in their heads. Right? There's a progression here in verse 1. So, so those who listen to those, those inputs, those messages, those people who are set against God, and that jumps to those who are getting comfortable with those messages, those inputs, those people who are set against God, and that jumps to those who join in with those messages, those inputs, those people who are set against God. And so verse 1 sets us up for verse 2, which really does answer my question, For the person pursuing joy, what do they do? And the answer is, they delight in, they meditate on God's law. And that word law might be a little bit tricky for us, but know that law, or we could say instruction, that law reveals character. An illustration that I found this past week that might be helpful for us is that For us in the U.S., we have laws against murder. And that law against taking life tells us something about us. It says that we in the U.S. place a high value on life. So here, law or instruction ultimately tells us about the character of the person bringing the law, tells us about the one bringing the instruction. And so God's law, God's instructions tell us much about him. God's word tells us what God is like, who he is, what he's up to. And so the person who is serious about pursuing their joy, and this comes directly out of verse 2, that person delights in and meditates on God's word, comes to these words to allow these words, God's, God's words of love, to wash over them on a regular and a consistent basis. So biblical meditation is not the sense of emptying oneself as it is in in other belief options. 
Biblical meditation is not focusing on oneself, but rather biblical meditation is a filling. It is a filling our minds with God's word to to allow our focus to be drawn to him. In this idea of biblical meditation, there is this idea of digestion. So let me ask you this. How do you eat a perfectly grilled ribeye steak? Do you scarf it down? I sure don't. When we lived in in Uruguay, Uruguayans have perfected the art of cooking steak. And the whole thing takes a long time. The way that they cook it, the way that they eat it, And as you take those bites and that juice just explodes with the right amount of sawiness to pull out that flavor, your palate is on overdrive with beefy goodness in every single bite. Amen Amen to that. (laughs) Exactly the same way that you eat a perfectly grilled steak, that's what biblical meditation is. You go slow with it, you savor every bite, you allow the flavor to have its full impact on you. And so if you'll do this, if you'll make time to meditate on, to go slow with God's word, to hear God's words, God's words to you, to hear God speaking to you through his scripture, here's what happens. And we see that in verse three. They, those that meditate on, delight in God's word. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. So this psalm is coming out of Israel where it can be hot and dry and dusty, and so if a, if a plant's roots don't go deep, that plant is not going to thrive, and most likely that plant is not going to survive. Prosper here does not mean living large in a swanky neighborhood and driving a tricked out automobile. But what prosper means is that that God will take care of you no matter what life throws at you. And so the secret to joy coming out out of Psalms chapter one is simply this. To find a joy that perseveres through the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs and the heights and the depths of the human experience. That secret to joy coming out of Psalms chapter one is that God calls us to look to him. God calls us to look to him through his word. And so this morning I could give you the how of that and I give you points on how to allow God's truth to wash over you but I I wanna hear from you. I want to hear what you have found to work in in the busyness, in the craziness of of your everyday life. Despite the distractions, despite the noise of modern life, in the middle that all that you have to get done in the course of your day. Despite the pull to, to not get into God's word because of a hundred different reasons, how do you make it work? The question that I have for us is, on a very practical level, what do you do to prioritize time with God through meeting with him in the scriptures? So here's where I need you to help me out. What do you do? 
Prioritize. Actually making a choice. That's huge. What else? Wake up early, all right? I am not a morning person, so I do not wake up early, so let's call that finding a time. Finding a time that works for you. What else? What's that? Through the day. Oh, that's awesome, right? Listen, read, and we could add to that. Yeah. Different ways to come at Scripture. What else? Y'all are fresh out of ideas. To make this interaction thing work, that means you guys have to interact with me. All right, I'm hearing. (laughs) Just do it. That's good, Gary. There was something else over here? Make it a habit. And I heard this, I heard make a routine. So I'm going to, I'm going to. Capture that as, as make a plan. Accountability. Yeah, I was just going to say that actually. So uh, talking to somebody recently who said that they have found a way to actually read with someone or, or if they're not reading with someone, there's some contact there to say, hey, were you in God's word today? And for them that works. And so read with someone. Right, and we could actually go on and make this list longer, but I feel like I'm pushing my luck with you guys, so we'll stop there. Let me ask you a follow-up. Why? Why do you do this? What have you realized that causes you to know that, that you need time meeting with God in his word? What's that? Yeah, that's beautiful, Kim. So for those of, of, of us that, that didn't hear her, Kim's saying it's real life. To know, to bring yourself back constantly to know that God will take care of you no matter what you are facing. That kind of lines up with, with my why, which is when I come to scripture, I am not reading out of a sense of duty, but I am reading out of a sense of necessity. Survival. See, my, my guess is that my heart is a lot like yours in that my, my heart wants to quickly wander away from the truth, to go off on its own, to go its own way. We actually sang about that a few moments ago, but the problem with that is when my, my heart wanders, it gets scared, it gets confused, it gets cocky, it gets stupid. And it needs to be reminded, my my heart needs to be 
reminded continually of what really is true. It needs to be reminded of the gospel. And we we get that here in Psalms 1 verse 6. Where the psalmist writes, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. Honestly, y'all, the thing that, that, that I, I hope to accomplish through this interactive piece that we're doing is to show you how to, to read Scripture Christocentrically. To get to Jesus no matter where you are in Scripture. And so it is in verse 6, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. If we ask the question, how has God ultimately watched over us? How has God ultimately provided for us? And the answer is, it's Jesus. And so when, when, when you, you do those things that we listed out a few moments together, it can be because, hey, listen, I was at MBIC on, on Sunday, June 11th, and Brian told me I need to do this. Because if that's, if that's your reason, there is no mileage in that. But your coming to Scripture has to be because you realize just how desperate you are. That you realize your need, that you realize that you need God's Word to point you to Jesus on a regular, ongoing, consistent basis. That God has loved you so much that he sacrificed his his only son for you. That you have a joy that is anchored to the greatest act of love, the greatest rescue ever undertaken. Because it's scripture that tells us who God is. And because we can know who God is, we can know who we are. You can know who you are. And you can know that you are his. And so in Psalm chapter one, the psalm that introduces all the other psalms, a clear choice has to be made. That secret, that secret to joy in Psalm chapter one, God calls us to look to him. God calls us to look to him through his word. The question becomes, and we mentioned this a few moments ago, will you prioritize time with God through meeting with him in the scriptures. There's a choice for you to make in this. I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. And the bottom line of this whole thing is, your joy is at stake. So what are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, your message in Psalm chapter 1 is crystal clear. You call us to look to you. You call us to, to spend time going slow with your word that we might see you, that we might, might see what you're like, what you are up to, what you have done, and, and who you are inviting us to be, and all because of Jesus. May we fully realize that our joy is at stake and not sidestep this question because not to answer that question is an answer, but that our answer would be one of surrender. Our answer would would be one of yes. Draw us to you, Father. May your truth penetrate our hearts 
And we thank you for the incredible gift that we have in your son. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.